it's Fulhamish Podcast. My name's Sammy James. This is your safety car in the rocky road of the transfer silly season. And today, Fulham got themselves a speed camera just in time as the championship opening weekend fast approaches. And tonight, I've got the quickest Fulham minds around. Farrell Monk is here. Good evening, Sammy. I think you need to, like a speeding fine for that terrible opening. <laughs> Jack Collins is here, Hello, who um, incidentally schooled me at ping pong before the podcast tonight. It was a, a comprehensive victory, much akin to a 3-1 away win. Yeah. Norwich away we were competitive, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. We did. I, I made a little battling comeback, but all in all, it was a very deserved victory. You're very good. Thanks. Sam. Very good. You've got, Thanks, a lot, you've got good ping pong techers. You're, you're good too. Oh my God. <laughs> Just you're, you're here with the loving podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and brand new to the podcast tonight, please can we give a warm welcome to Mr. Guy Barlow. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Very good, thanks. Exciting to have you finally on the pod. Yeah, I'm really excited. And what a pod to join us on. It's been uh, loads going on uh, over the weekend and today especially. So in the show tonight, uh, we're going to be giving our reaction to the Wolfsburg friendly on Saturday, which didn't really go away. They came out on the end of a 3-0 defeat. Uh, all the transfer reactions to uh, Oliver Norwood, Thomas Callas and Abu Bakr Kamara, if I pronounced that correctly, signing for the club. We've also got uh, our reaction to Slavisa's post-match interview uh, after the Wolfsburg game, which was very fiery indeed. Uh, and we're going to be giving a bit of a Norwich preview ahead of the big championship opening this weekend. But first, I'll ask you guys what you thought of the Wolfsburg performance on Saturday. Uh, Farrell, you were there. It seemed like a bit of a mixed bag, created lots of chances, but we looked very vulnerable at the back. Well, that's basically Fulham of the last 12 months, really. Exactly. Um, and I thought we caused uh, Wolfsburg, who are a very, very good team, a lot of problems. And they just were far more clinical than us. Um, however, both teams were sloppy. And Fulham were actually sloppy in possession, especially closer to our goal, more usual than we are. And it meant that Wolfsburg were winning the ball in dangerous positions. But likewise, Fulham were as well. We won the ball very high up the pitch, but we failed to punish Wolfsburg. Um, a Wolfsburg team that's got quite a lot of talent throughout its team. I mean, they are a mid-table Bundesliga team, and that's no... That's no mean feat. It's certainly a lot higher than um, top half championship. And got some real quality players. I mean, Mario Gomez. Oh, yeah, Mario Gomez. I mean, two chances, two goals, pretty much. Um, yeah. And um, the way the way that he can literally just have, just for his first goal, straight out his feet, bottom corner, kind of as, as if it was nothing. And I think that's a real thing. The fact they've got Jakob Blachikowski on the bench is, is something when he played uh, uh, for Dortmund all those many years as well, and he still pretty good footballer so I think that shows the sort of um, one of those things that we've just got to write off and just go along with it because I mean we put them under a pressure quite a lot we probably should have scored one or two goals and it just didn't go our way Jack, I think the most interesting thing from the final friendly of the preseason is always what the lineup is because it's a very good indication always as to what the lineup in the first game will be. So we started with Bettinelli in goal, back four of Fredericks, Callas, Reem, and Sessignon. We kind of played a four-three-three almost. Yeah. Um, you could maybe say it argue was a four-five-one, but I, I think it was more of a three uh, with Cisse, Norwood, and Johansson in the middle, and then. Uh, a front three of Piazon, Aluko, and Ayite. So, what did you make of that opening lineup? Obviously, we're missing K Mac, Kearney, and Cabano. Cabano. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, I mean, we were all, you know, slightly disappointed. I think not to see K Mac in the side. Um, we can go on forever about how important K Mac is for us, and and you know, we'll be repeating ourselves much of this season, one would imagine. But yeah, I thought the you know replacements for him did ably. To be honest, I thought that. Cisse in, in particular was excellent, um, really good. He had, he had a lot of running in him. He's, he seems to do this simple stuff well. Um, and But when called upon, was able to deliver a lovely cross for Steph Joe, should have, should have scored at one point, um, and, and, and won the ball in, in some good areas and, and pushed on and looked like he had the energy, which is really nice. Norwood, again, uh, tidy, very tidy, but without really doing much would have been my kind of acquisition of, of what he did. I'm not quite sure he's the 10 we're looking for in Kearney's absence. Um, I, I'd suggest he's more of a, a cover for Steph, but he did he did all right, and there was there was nothing to really complain about. A couple of sloppy passes here and there, but the same could be said for anyone. Uh, Sean Aluka had a, a good game again. Um, he looks like he likes being the captain, so that's nice, and and hopefully that's a kind of sign of of good things to come, especially in the light of the comments after the game. But Aluka looked excellent, and I think that there is little to worry about there. Um, yeah, at times we looked like we needed a striker. Corley didn't do that much when he came on. 
um, much to everyone's sort of disappointment. And aside from that, it looks like we'll probably start with that back four. They don't look quite ready yet, but, you know, they'll have had another week under their belts. And with K-Mac coming back in, hopefully, to, to protect them, I, I don't see why we can't start the season off in, in style. Um, Guy, I thought the only real sour note, other than the scoreline, which I still don't really think matters too much uh, at this point of the season, uh, was the crowd reaction to David Button coming off the bench. Uh, some quite vociferous boos uh, from certain parts I must stress certain parts of Craven Cottage I'd hardly say it was a chorus across the stadium but it certainly was audible from really anywhere in the grounds what was your reaction to that it seems very unnecessary in a uh, in a pre-season friendly yeah especially the pre-season aspect is definitely the most disappointing I mean he had a tough end to the season away at Derby he's obviously dropped after that and he's had he's made a mistake in pre-season as well um, against West Ham which you spoke about but uh it can, you could say it's a little bit embarrassing to to boo your own player in pre-season. I, I, it's not something you really want to see. Um, there's, there's a way of getting a message across and that's not it, in my opinion. How much of a knock-on effect does that have on, on a player? It can never be... Obviously, you know that footballers learn to deal with external pressures, but that's hard to ignore. That's not going to do him any good at all. I've, I've spoken about it before and I think it's one of the most disgraceful things in you know, in football, relatively speaking, um, to boo your own player who is trying, obviously trying his hardest to um, do his best for the club. I, I don't understand how the fans think, or those fans think that that's going to endear himself to the club and do hard, play harder for you. You know, these, these fans out there are booing me. What makes me think I'm going to play well for them? It's just, you know, one of those really frustrating things where, you know, clearly... If we were going to buy a keeper and we were going to sign a keeper, we would have probably been in the market for a keeper. We haven't. Like, as you know, I know that the transfer dealings at the club are slightly behind closed doors and, you know, maybe, okay, you know, it is possible that we have been in making moves for keepers, but it doesn't look like it as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, there was all these rumours about Bethnelli leaving and then Button leaving and, and all this, but none of it seems to have come to fruition and we don't seem to have, you know, made any changes. So Servisa, well, Servisa's either happy with that or he, he can't do anything about it. So in either situation, there's nothing we can do about it apart from get behind them. And, you know, David Bunn isn't a bad keeper. It's as simple as that. He's he's really not. And, you know, while he has detractors and, yeah, he is prone to a mistake, but he's also, you know, quite a good shot stopper. And, and I'd, I'd seems go as far to, a... to say he's a brilliant shot stopper at this level. It's his feet that let him down. Yeah, but, you know, he's also having to adapt to a system that, yes, OK, well, you know, it's a system that he's been into for a while yet, but he's still adapting his game to a new system that he clearly wasn't playing before, you know. And, uh, you know, Brentford under Warburton, the fans loved him and he, you know, put on some outstanding displays for them. And just because he's come here and had to, you know, change that a little bit, someone, someone somewhere along the line has thought, oh, you know that's that's it. He can't play for us anymore, and it's ridiculous because uh, at the end of the day, he he's a good keeper, and he really isn't the bits of the, the club that I'm most worried about. So I think that you know whatever happens on the weekend, and whoever Slav does decide to start, it's about getting behind them, and it's just ludicrous in a preseason friendly that people are even considering going along to boo people. You don't have to go; like it's fine. Like you, you just don't. <laughs> See, if you're going to go and turn up, just don't. Don't bother. Like it's not worth it. He also came on because Benelli got injured. Yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't like oh, Stavisa decided to start him. He came on because we were sitting there in that situation, and our keeper had got injured, and we were all hoping Benelli be you know is better, and we all you know we all like Marcus Benelli. None of us are here going oh, madman. Dom's not here, he obviously doesn't like it. Um, but, you know, it, it makes no sense to, to boo a player, especially in that level. And as if, it, as if we're trying to knock our own players' confidence before we start a campaign which looks to be one that's really positive and promising, and it makes no sense. It can't be something Button's used to, because he did have, I think he had one of the longest serving, uh, the longest con consecutive game stretches when he played for Brentford in League One. He's played something like almost 200 games in a row. And th that kind of consistency is not, like to be underestimated at any kind of at this especially you know a championship level and then played pretty much maybe like 33 34 games in a row for us until it was that uh Ipswich game wasn't it he was dropped four and then Bettinelli played and then made a mistake 
all the final games <laughs> yeah. of the season, yeah. <laughs> which everyone forgot about Someone, in the last minute. There's a there's a meme going around on, on Twitter of the two Gordon Ramsay responses, and it's like when uh, when Button makes a mistake versus when Bettinelli oh, yeah. makes a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how Ramsay speaks to children versus how he speaks to adults. <laughs> but that's how it is. Like they could make the same mistakes, and no one would ever dare call yeah. Bettinelli out for it. But everyone's well happy to jump on the bash David Button button. And look, we've done it. We've had we've we've played that. You know that we put up that picture that that showed where Button could have kicked the ball out ahead of in the round. You know, it's all it's all fun and games until he actually genuinely starts being booed at things. And yeah. it'd be a shame to have to like resist the idea of like having a good time and, and, and us having a laugh because we feel like it's genuinely hurting the fan base's kind of opinion over someone. Yeah, one th- the criticism is one thing and, yeah, and making 100%. light of a mistake is another thing. But to go out there and he hears that, is is another so i was very disappointed from that moving away from the button debate so it looks like there's potentially four doubts in my mind for next week i mentioned three of them came at kenny and cabano bettinelli pulled a hamstring uh in saturday's game now slav says that they'll be fit for saturday's match against norwich but losing any one of those four will definitely be a blow to Fulham side, maybe Cabano is the one that's the least of a blow, just because we have so much cover. In terms of communication from the club over transfers, I mean, I can handle that kind of not really hearing much. But about injuries, that is something I really would like to be kept up to date on, and I don't feel we are kept up to date on injuries that much. I mean, Slav did say in the press conference that they're only expected to be out for a week. Um, but yeah, I really would like to hear more. Do you know what the interesting thing is with that? Is so obviously I used to work uh, for Fulham for a, for a season or so. Did you? Um, I did. I, did. <laughs> I never mentioned it. And I remember asking, oh, is there any way we, I can get a bit more kind of injury news? And I was told that it is really kept under <coughs> lock and key. It's not as if like the communications department have access to it and they don't see it worthy yeah. of plastering out. It's simply that the physio team keep it under such wraps mm. that only really they know, which think- they must have their reasons for it, obviously. We were take. I, I went for a tour of the training ground once, um, a few years ago and we were accidentally taken through the uh the physio department there's a few there was a couple of players in there it was it was a couple of players i knew were injured but they basically went oh i wasn't we weren't supposed to take you through there don't put anything up on social media about who was in there what they were getting done or anything like that you assume it's because so the other teams can't second guess their starting eleven and how we're going to set up. That's exactly what it's got to be. You know, if you're Dan, you know, if you're the Norwich manager next week and you know that Tom Kearney's not available, you set your team up completely differently. You don't have to deal with that, you know, pivot point who can change games in an instant, and you can you can base your midfielder in a different way. You know, especially if we, they go to what happened last week and they go, okay, we'll play Norwood there, who's obviously a more you know, box-to-box midfielder than, than Kearney is and less of a natural 10, is completely going to change the way that you'd set up the base of an orange midfield. So, yeah, of course we're going to keep that under wraps. Why do, why, do, why do they omit anything then? Why do they even say, oh, such and such has got a hamstring injury? Why don't they just do the yard? I mean, it'd be quite obvious if Bettinelli walked <laughs> off the pitch clutching his hamstring and they were yes. like, no, he's not injured, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe not if he's clutched his hamstring or it's obvious. But if it's not an obvious injury picked up in training, you might as well just say... It's an injury. Yeah, of course. But like in terms of, of Tom Kenny, he put up a thing of him, you know, in Barcelona when everyone else was a thing. And and the more that you can go, okay, he's going to be ready. They have to plan for the worst eventuality, which is obviously the way that Slav wants to play it. And I think that's probably not that weird. Do you think teams teams know how we're going to set up this season anyway? Like last season, we were a little bit of a surprise quantity, but everyone knows how we play now. And that is why I've seen in those meaningless predictions about league tables, I was put us down because people know how we're going to play yeah i think that potentially that you know will it's going to be a huge surprise if we decide to change our style of play considering how dominating we were last season other teams will probably look at look at it and go you know why change a winning formula and they know what we're going to do now um and even when teams tried to sort of sit back against fulham that totally blew them away most of the time yeah we did discuss this though last week there was a question about whether we were going to be less of a threat because people knew what we were about. And we said that people really knew what we were about from Christmas onwards, and, and they did set up to, to block it. And, you know, the majority of the time, aside from that really poor period where we seemed to not be able to break anyone down, we did tend to get through most of the time. And I think yeah. that people can try come and try and set us up to, to, to do that against us, but I don't think they will because I think they'll come and be like, if we do that, it'll eventually break through. And, you know, the only teams that we saw actually come and fully part the bus were like Rotherham and, and, Le- and Burton. Burton, Albion, not Leighton Orient. Um, <laughs> and they were the only teams that really came and did that. And I think that 
you'd be mad to think that Norwich will come and park the bus against us. They're, you know, looking to mount their own promotion campaign. They've got to try and fly out of the box as much as anyone. So I think oh, they will come and they will give us a game. And you I think, think that's a good thing. You think the teams actually that did best against us in the second half of the season were all teams that came out and played their own football and didn't really try to counter us. You could say Wolves were blistering yeah. and played on the counter-attack brilliantly. Um, Blackburn were very effective against us in the second half when they stopped trying to park the bus and played some football. And Derby County, I think, were one of the most effective mm. and they definitely didn't try to park the bus. So Rotherham got very close, actually, to scraping themselves I, a nil-nil draw, didn't yeah. they, that afternoon? But, but even now being came very close to, give, to beating us 1-0. Yeah. Well, Ryan Sessegnon yeah. scoring... Um, that was earlier in the season, though, when our, when our star maybe wasn't quite so... That was in September when we didn't win. That Burton game. Yeah, that is true. We don't yeah. like September. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're listening, other teams, uh, can you just park the bus and we'll it'll be fine. Don't come at us. Yeah, we'll work out a way. So let's move on to some of the transfer reaction. We bemoaned last week. We even did a little bit of a video joke after the podcast about how we're making no signings, and then all of a sudden. As if they listened to us, uh, we sprung into action. So we've signed three players, two new, one a re-signing. So Oliver Norwood arrived pretty promptly after last week's podcast. As in during the episode. Yeah, yeah. literally <laughs> as the episode happened, Oliver Norwood signed for us. Uh, season-long loan from Brighton. We discussed Norwood pretty well at length last week, so I don't think we need to dwell on him too much. And Jack mentioned his kind of low-key-ish performance uh, in the friendly against Wolves, but, you know, it was his first game. Uh, Thomas Callas, though, re-signed on a season-long loan from Chelsea. Um, fair to say Twitter was very, very pumped when uh, when that was announced. Lovely announcement, by the way, from the club. Great I thought. announcement. Yeah. Really, really nice. Subtle, understated, everything you want, really. Not like some of the announcements where you've seen people skydiving out of helicopters, like in the Premier League. It seems to be this epic battle to create the best <laughs> teaser video. Yeah, really happy with it and the signing. But mostly, <laughs> mostly the announcement video is yeah. the thing that I'm most proud of the club for. We're going to sign like uh, John Terry or something like that. And you'll be like, this is terrible. And then you'll see like the sounding announcement and you'll be like, oh, this is actually all right. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, obviously, it took a little while to get Thomas Callas. We got there in the end. It seemed fairly clear all summer that Fulham was his preferred destination. So it's good to finally get it over the line. One thing I do worry about with these signings coming late on is the pre-season. I mean, we spoke about, a lot about, obviously, the Diego Roland saga. He doesn't seem to be training. So if we did sign him, he wouldn't be fit. I wonder I wonder if um, Camera is fit. I wonder, Norwood says he's, he's fit, but Callas, how much of a pre-season has he had? Well, he has played... He played for Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he went to China with them. Yeah, yeah and played yeah. a couple of games. Yeah. He did all right. He did okay, without being spectacular. <laughs> um, and I guess he was less of a worry anyway because he doesn't need the settling in time. He's played alongside... Tim Ream and that back other the other back three in the back four all season long. But yeah, let's move on to the deal of the day. Abu Bakr Kamara reported five million pound transfer from Amion. Uh, Jack found some good stats for us earlier that he posted on Twitter. So he scored eleven in twenty nine for them last season as they got promoted. That's eleven, I think, in the league. I think he may have scored four. Yeah, he scored in, 15 overall, but that's just league games. In other competitions. So Amion got promoted from Ligue 2 to Ligue 1 last season fast and powerful striker I personally am very very happy with that kind of signing I think we potentially have a we could potentially have another Jonathan Codger on our hands and Codger is, is, <laughs> is it Codger or Codger? Codger Codger fine I was, right, I, was right, I was right the first time um, am I am I joined in the excitement of, of camera? yeah I would say so I think one thing that's um uh, stands out for me is that it releases Luko to go back onto the wing because although he was very very bright on Saturday and uh, he was probably our best player, um, it does he he gets involved a lot more in the wing. So the fact we've now got a natural sort of quick, strong striker is just good for the team. I feel. Do you think we will be looking for another striker in the window as either a backup or an alternative option? Or do you think this is our main signing no, up front? I'd, I'd like to think that we have, uh, you know, another one in the pipeline. I was interested today. I was I was waiting to see if they were going to give him the number nine shirt, um, as you know, that's always usually a statement of intent, leaving the nine open. Mm. 
is a is is an, a statement, and I think that they didn't announce what squad number Cameron was going to wear. So I think we, you know we can wait on that and, and then find out when they do announce that it'll be a, an indicator in one way or the other as to whether we're you know definitely still in the market or not. Um, I think if he takes a different shirt and the nine remains open, it, it suggests that we've still got some sort of marquee headliner on, but, on on route. But I think it's a good. It doesn't mean anything, you know, definitively either way. But I feel like if they do not give him the nine. Then it, there is a suggestion that we're still in the market for a number nine. Is the only worry for me with signing Camera is twenty two straight out of League Two. This is a very different division. This is um, a very difficult division. And actually, you saw with Codger in his first season at Bristol City, it took him ten fifteen games to get going. And we even saw it with another young French player Moussa Dembele playing for us he took quite a few games to get going for Fulham I'm not I'm I'm, I'm no doubt he'll click eventually for us but we don't really have 10-15 games to have a misfiring striker this season well also you know with Codger and, and Bristol he definitely did a lot of carrying um, for that team and I think that if you remember that when we played that Bristol side they actually weren't very good and Jonathan Codger was a very bright spark in a very poor side, and in in a very similar way to the way that T- Tammy Abraham was this year, in fact. And um, I don't think that it will be quite the same because, hopefully, touch wood, Camera isn't going to be playing in a struggling unit that aren't creating chances. Mm. And and a lot of the Codger, you know, that the kind of getting going bits was him definitely trying to have to come and pick the ball up from deep, learn where his players are going to be. I think Camera will suit the system. If, if you know, the rumours are to believed about his pace and his power, he, he should fit very naturally into the system we have going forward. You know, that lightning break, that kind of short pass game uh, and looking for the gaps at the back. And I think that if he does fit into that system, he should have less time to, to settle in in terms of how he's played before and, and, and how he's going to adapt to Fulham going forwards. On the way I see the system is the striker is just to score. And then I think we saw that with Chris Martin. He didn't do, he did a lot of like rubbish tracking back, occasionally charging down the goalkeeper. But primarily he was there to score. He, he wasn't needed to hold it up because that's not how we play. So just get him behind and put it in the net. Do you think, I, I actually don't know if I fully agree that his only role was to score. I think that the hold up play of Chris Martin was... His redeeming feature, in fact. Yeah, I thought it was... I, I just thought it was a very important part of his game and he was very, very good of it. Some of his layoffs from long balls were nothing short of incredible. And actually, he brought in the midfield five who ended up scoring a lot, a lot of the of goals. goals. So I agree with you. The what, I, what I'd be interested in, one of your the point there, Guy, about um, charging down the goalkeeper is that if we now have this you know man who can run the 100 metres in 11 seconds, whatever it is, charging down goalkeepers, we're going to be putting a lot of pressure on opposition back lines a lot of the time. And a lot of the time when we watched Chris Martin doing those charge downs, he didn't get there. No, and Steph Joe ended up yeah, doing yeah. a lot of them, didn't he? And and now with now with a man who's you know has that kind of lightning pace up front, if we can st- get start pressuring teams into you know playing back to their goalkeeper with that kind of pace available to us up front, I just think that we will start to see results. Well, you might remember a few weeks ago when we were discussing the potential Diego Roland move, we spoke to our man in France, JS, who gave us the lowdown on Diego Roland. As Kamara's been signed from a French club, we thought it would only be right to give him a call again as he was so brilliant on the last show. So, live and direct from France, it's JS. How are you doing? Hello, guys. Good to speak to you again, our man on the continent. Yeah, exactly. JS, uh, how do we pronounce? Is it Abu Bakr? Abu Bakr, Kamara. Camara, okay. So he's signed for Fulham today from Amiens yeah. uh, for mm. about £5 million. What can you tell mm-hmm. us about our new signing? Yeah, so uh, first of all, uh, Amiens, they got promoted uh, this season in French League One. So, But it was a very big surprise because it's a, it's a very small team. Uh, so Camara so is not a big star. Even in, in French League Two, it was, he was not a, a big star. However, we we know this guy because uh, he was young in uh, in Monaco. He played in Monaco and, and he scored a lot of goals with the the, the B team, you know, uh, in uh, with uh, with the, the amateurs. And so what I, kind of striker I, is I, he? I, yeah, he's a very good guy. He's a very good forward, but uh, yeah, powerful, uh, very quick, and there is something that uh, is very general. You know, he, he, he's a tiger in, in the pitch. 
on on the pitch and uh, he play with the the teammates. He, he scored. So, JS, one of the things that we've seen people be slightly concerned about on Twitter and and, abro- and online is basically whether they think that the championship is going to be a, too much of a step up from from the second division in France. I know a lot of people said when we were talking about Roland that he hadn't actually scored enough goals in, in Ligue 1 to basically make it worthwhile transfer. So do you think that Ligue 2 is definitely uh, an OK comparison to the championship and you think that uh, camera can make that transition without too much of a, a fuss or an issue. The League Two, the French League Two, it's a physical championship. So it's like um, I think the championship, the English championship. So I think Abu Bakar Kamara will be great in the in championship. You, you know uh, Jonathan Kodja, uh, the the goal scorer of Aston Villa. Yeah, yeah. This guy, he, so he played he played in League Two uh, last season. And he did he did well last season with uh, with uh, with Aston Villa. So it's it's because the the, the style of the the, champ- the of the French uh, League Two Championship and the the English Championship are the same. So they can adapt ourselves very very quickly, yeah. very very easy. So it's not a it's not a bad uh, a bad choice uh, no, from, for them. Codge is a brilliant player, so that's sort of yeah. you know one of those things that was refreshing to hear. We've heard also on the on you know on the grapevine that he, that Camera's a very very fast man, and there was talk of him being yeah. able to run the 110 meter hurdles 1.7 seconds off the world record. <laughs> is that you know true? Is it is he that quick? It's possible because it's not very tall. I think it's it's like a guy with very physical. So I think yes, he's he's, he's very fast. But as I told you, he's not. Uh, just a, a guy who who run very quickly, very fast. He's a guy who who play a lot of with the teammates. So it will be interesting to to see this guy uh, on uh, on the championship, Brilliant. English uh, championship. JS, thank you very much for giving us a yeah, bit of a lowdown on Abu Bakr Kamara. Yeah, exactly. Good pronunciation. Thank you very much, Jess. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. Bye-bye, So welcome back to Fulhamish Podcast. Now, our next section, before we have a little bit of a Norwich preview, uh, is we want to look at the interesting comments from Slavisa in his post-match presser, where he was fairly vociferous about Fulham's transfer policy in, in general. He seemed fairly aggravated uh, after the Wolfsburg match, and I don't think it was fully to do uh, with the performance on the pitch. But on the line now, uh, we actually have the man that spoke to him uh, in that interview. Aaron Paul, how are you doing, Aaron? Not bad, chap. How are you? Yeah, all good, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the phone. So, uh, you were lucky enough to speak to Slav after the match. Mm. It was a very interesting interview. It certainly provoked a lot of reaction online. Uh, what was the general feeling being with Slav? Did he seem overly worked up? It's, it's a hard one because he's the kind of guy where you're going to approach him to interview him, um, he looks absolutely normal, and then he gives you this look, just like a sort of a, a sort of a stare. Um, it, it, he, he's an interesting chap to interview, but one thing I'll tell you, he's always honest. He's always very, very, very honest, um, very straight to the point. I know his English obviously isn't the best, um, and you know maybe maybe that you know has evoked reactions from certain people before, but. He, he's always honest and he's always straight to the point. Um, he was disappointed on Saturday. There's there's no doubt about it. Effectively, I know I've read a lot of comments on social media saying that, you know, the interview is sensationalised, et cetera, et cetera. I personally don't think it was. I think that, you know, in what we were reporting, it was the facts, the truth, effectively. The guy, um, you know, you know, they, it was straight from straight from the horse's mouth effectively it was it was direct quotes from him um you know he he was disappointed in 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 the transfer policies of the club and you know i think it just it just kind of says it all really so to reiterate what he said in case uh, you might be listening and you haven't had time to listen to the interview, the main thing was he was very upset that the club had received some bids for Sonia Luco and he said it would be a big mistake uh, for them to sell him but said that he seemed a bit powerless in the entire scenario. Do you think it was a bit of a power play from Slav to say this? Do you think he was just trying to get his voice heard by the club there's two ways to look at it it could have been a bit of a a a sort of a desperate call for help as if to say come on guys you know back me effectively um 
or he genuinely doesn't know what's going on. I mean, to be honest, the way it was put to me personally um, and the way it sounds in the interview, the way he said it, um, I'm hearing things around me that Sean Aluko will be will be sold, and you know that 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 could be a mistake. You've got to really sort of decipher it. It's very cryptic, but um, it, it was it was a really strange line, um, really, really, really strange line. While he was saying it, I'm thinking, what are you what are you saying, pal? You know, because I mean. When you think of a football manager, one of the first things you think is transfers. And he's come up to me and gone, I have nothing to do with transfers. I'm like, wow. Like, you know, it's just really, really strange. It's it's a baffling situation that he has nothing to do with, you know, the purchasing and 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 sort of, uh, you know, the buying, the buying and selling of players. It's very strange. You know, some people will say that, you know, maybe it's the right decision to make because... Hosebed was his choice and evidently didn't really work out. Um, others will say that obviously a manager has to has to choose where he wants, you know, and maybe the James Wilson situation last year where Fulham were linked with him, it, you know, is evident he needed a forward. James Wilson was available as soon as, you know, Slavisa called out on the board. Uh, uh, Derby snapped him up. I know he got injured, but, you know, we, we couldn't predict that. You know, he, he was the man that Slav wanted. Um, but it's just a baffling, baffling, baffling scenario. I'll tell you what, we were all baffled. Um, uh, the BBC London team were like, wow, again, he's he's done it again. It was absolutely crazy. In a way, I'm quite glad James Wilson didn't come after that dive a couple of years ago uh, <laughs> at Brighton. But do you think that Slav might have been brought to the club under false pretenses then? I mean, it was very, very out there in the open that when he was brought in, that he was only, he was solely a head coach and they... they they made it very clear at the time. Mike Rigg made it, made it very, very clear at the time. Maybe, but if he's come to terms with it and he's showing his frustration, it's kind of pointless. He's, you know, he he's not going to effectively get anywhere with Tony Khan and 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 the Fulham board. It's it's just it's just a really baffling set of events, you know, for a manager a week before the season to go, guys. I mean, the first thing, forget forget anything. The thing that baffled me the most, excuse me, is when you know about. 10 to 2, I got a team sheet and I saw four outfield players on the bench. Two keepers, four outfield players. The last person I saw put two keepers on a bench, you know, in a half-decent game was uh, Walter Mazzari, Watford versus Man City. And he was, you know, very, very much out of his depth because they were 5-0 down at half-time and he, he was just, he basically wanted it to end. You know, um, it, it's the thin nature of the squad is so worrying. I mean, last year we were talking about the same nature of the squad. You know, having he, well, called, uh, we, we didn't really like Chris Martin. Having Chris Martin was just, you know, it was a sign of desperation. Bringing the Sizzler, Syriac, he was a, I was a big fan of his, but, you know, didn't really work out for him. Um, and, you know, bring relying on loans, relying on those kind, kind, kind of signings, it just didn't work out. What they needed last year was to buy proven championship quality. The players, you know, that they did bring in someone like Kevin McDonald, proven championship quality. You know what he worked out? He worked well. Kev knows how to operate the league. And, you know, at, towards the end of it, Stefan Johansson looked tired. Don't get me wrong, they've brought in Ibrahim Asise. You know, they've brought in uh, Oliver Norwood, who looks pretty decent. But up top again, they are lacking two forwards, you know. Um, Someone has informed me that Corley might be on the move, um, like Las Vegas Christensen. If he is, what are we doing? You know, obviously Abu Bakr Kamara's coming, but he's an unknown quantity, completely unknown quantity. You know, can he do it in this league? Personally, I would have gone and broke the bank for Ken Sahore. You know, I think he's a, he's an absolutely fabulous finisher for the championship level. Absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, who knows? I, I don't think they will go for him because simply because Cardiff won too much money. And, um, you know, it seems like Diego Roland had his medical and is just effectively playing this game of cat and mouse. So something I would add about Jukanovic going back slightly is that he did sign a new contract in April. Mm. So he, he definitely does know the situation at the club. And... I think about it's it's an English thing. He we've we've seen before that he's used interviews to push through transfers. Basically, I'm not worried about his comments that much because I think he knows exactly what he's doing. We talk about signing proven championship players. Oliver Norwood is his proven proven championship player. Would you would you not agree? 
Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think he's a, uh, a great signing, an absolutely fantastic signing. Um, one point I want to make on Savicio Kanovic: don't forget he's worked in this kind of situation before. Um, when he was at Watford, Watford obviously owned by Gino Pozzo, who owns Granada, and I cannot remember what Italian club it is, uh, but they are they're in an Italian Udinese, club. Udinese, Udinese, yeah, that's the one. So you know he's worked in a network club situation. You know Watford have well had at one point ten, twenty players coming through the door on loan and on free transfers, basically being shipped in this giant circle. You know Watford, Granada, and Udinese. You know they, they were just shipping rates. So he's worked under this, you know, sort of system before. But maybe he was allowed to bring in the old player here and there. It's it's strange. I mean, yes, he signed a new contract towards the end of last season. And there were big fears that, you know, him going would, would just disrupt things again. Um, I think he's the manager for the job. I think he's a brilliant, brilliant manager. But maybe just he, he just needs a little bit of input. Finally, Aaron, I just wanted to get your thoughts on some of the bits at the end of the interview. I thought it was really interesting to hear what he said about Scott Malone. He said the words, uh, he was a really important player. Sounded to me as if Scott was sold kind of without Slavisa's backing. I almost find mm. that slightly more worrying than actually the transfers he can't get in because at the end of the day, he doesn't have access to the statistics. He's not a scout. He's not out there um, seeing players. And as you've said, some of his transfers that he's tried to bring in haven't worked out. But what I do believe is that he knows who is best for his squad because he's the yeah. manager and he works with them day in, day out. So if he wanted Scott Malone to be part of his team this season, and you could tell almost from the interview that Scott Malone did with Huddersfield. It doesn't seem like Scott Malone was mm. desperately happy uh, to move up to Huddersfield. If, if players are being sold from underneath him, that seems the most worrying aspect of the interview for me. Forget that, And that's why I think Sonny seems particularly worrying, yeah. although the club have quickly come out and clarified that they rejected those bids. With it all, we looked at it um, again as, as soon as the... A Luco statement was given to me by uh, a member of the club's team on Saturday. Um, and it's just kind of become an evident. The club's turning into a pretty well-run business. As we know, there's no parachute payments this season. You know, it's going to cost. Things are going to cost uh, a little bit more this season. So, you know, effectively, it's shrewd moves by the Khans to recoup money. Um Scott Malone was effectively brought in on a free last season, obviously in exchange for Jazz Richard, a brilliant exchange by all accounts. Um, and he was sold for between three and a half million and five million pounds. It's a brilliant bit of profit from the cards. Sean Aluko was brought in on a free last season and, you know, is subject to, you know, undisclosed bids. Again, a brilliant bit of profit. If they can make profit on a player, I'm sure they will. Aaron, thanks so much for your time. Have a great evening and thanks for being on Fulhamish. Cheers, thanks. Take care, guys. So thank you to Aaron from BBC London for his insight into his interview with Slavisa on Saturday. It definitely, definitely did the rounds online. It really uh, provoked uh, a very big reaction at the time. But let's move on to Saturday's big opener against Norwich at the Cottage. It's very exciting that league football is finally back. It's been a long few months uh, we've had some friendlies to whetten the appetite, but now it fully gets underway. And uh, the Canaries are travelling to the cottage on Saturday looking for their first win at Craven Cottage. This stat always blows my mind. It's 1986. And every time I say it, I think I'm not going to be able to say it. it I'm yeah. not going to be able to say <laughs> it this time next season. I'm, I'm just simply stating facts. Uh, and it would be their second win in 20 competitive matches against us home and away. And you wonder if it's just something that Fulham fans latch onto, but Norwich fans have a real problem about Fulham that you look at the you look at the forums this week and they'll be saying oh no I'm really expecting a good opening game but it's Fulham so we won't win they yeah, really yeah. have we this thing really about us we are really their bogey team like yeah. genuinely their bogey team it's not it's not like when Brentford beat us that first that time uh, at Craven Cottage that time in the first season and they started banging on about it was our first win there for like 30 years yeah but it was the only time you played us in 30 years <laughs> Norwich have actually played us like reasonable yeah. amounts of times yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. some of those stats are a bit warped about us never winning at Goodison and Turf Moor we haven't won there since the 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but there were severe we've, we've periods where we didn't play yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. But uh, there's been a summer of change at Carrow Road. So they've got a new manager, Daniel Fark. He's brought in from, actually, I've forgotten the club. It's escaped Dort to mind. Dortmund 2. Dortmund 2, yeah. That's the one. Um, but he hasn't made too many signings. Quite a few players have left. So they lost the likes of Johnny Howson. But in, coming in, they've had uh, Marcel Franca from Greuther Firth. 
Uh, to be honest, that is a new name to me. Uh, a couple of names, though, that we will have heard of. James Husband, of course, uh, played of course. on two separate Lad. loan spells at Fulham. Uh, he signed for an undisclosed fee from Middlesbrough. And they signed Marley Watkins on a free from Barnsley, which is a lovely bit of yeah, business. Yeah, really good bit of business. That that Marley Watkins is an excellent player. Yeah, say very, very good. The other thing is they have um, Nelson Oliveira there, who didn't 100% perform last season, but I still do rate as a good talent and I do think he's a good player and I think he'll score more this season so you know that almost that feels I'd imagine feels like a bit of a new signing if they can get him going um, and but I they've think, lost a couple of players you know Ryan, yeah, Ryan Johnny Bennett Houston Johnny Houston yeah Johnny Houston's good obviously player. Jacob Murphy's a big blow uh, yeah. for them for Newcastle they've got the other one though don't they they Josh, don't have yeah they Josh have both Murphy. the Murphys they lost both their goalkeepers uh, Declan Rudd and John John Ruddy and I feel like they've decided to go for someone for with a similar name Angus Gunn yeah from Man City yeah Ruddy which I Rudd, can't believe Gunn. yeah <laughs> Ruddy Gunn Ruddy Gunn good signing that I think uh, you know we see what Danny Ward did for Huddersfield last year on loan from Liverpool I yeah. think I mean yeah he's a he's a bit of an unknown quantity but. You know, those players that have come through the kind of youth sides and done reasonably well at youth level, they do seem to, you know, as a, as a rule of thumb, do okay in the championship. Sam Johnston as well at, Van, at uh, Villa, who is on loan from United, or potentially permanent, actually. Maybe, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, again, they did, you know, did okay. And I think that there's something to be said for those keepers that are young and looking for their break in British football coming through the championship. So I think it might be okay. They did massively underperform last season. They would have expected to be challenging for the top two, if not the top six. I think playoffs would have been absolute bare minimum expectation. They started spectacularly. Well, well, yeah. When they came to the cottage this uh, last season, they were top of the league and it all spectacularly fell apart and was in part due to that it kind of started from that draw and they also had that really unfortunate loss three. at Newcastle yeah. didn't they which oh, yeah. really really the set rocket, it off. the absolute the wheels came off yeah. after that like they were 3-2 up within 92 minutes and um, yeah. and they but then, lost but then they stuck with Alex Neil and then they sacked him yeah it was all was a bit it, mad. it was a weird one wasn't it I, sh- I I still think they should have kept Alex Neil I think that he knew the club and everything um I course, thought he was I've, a brilliant manager yeah I mean he got him up um when I mean surprisingly that it was almost like the the poison chalice, in a, in a sense, what happened to a lot of managers like Karanka at Middlesbrough. Like, God knows why they sacked him, considering he got them up. He actually didn't want to be there anymore. He stopped turning up to things. <laughs> it was a bit of a to- toxic atmosphere at Middlesbrough. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one. You know, this Fark's obviously a bit of an unknown quantity, but he's, you know, seemed to do well with Dortmund's, you know, younger sides. And he's obviously learned from some really, you know, talented coaches in Klopp and Tuchel and, and all of those. So, you know, we'll we see how he gets on, basically. But And yeah. who knows what the podcast will be called next week. Yeah, I mean... Just keep it clean, boys. <laughs> yeah, the chances of being a pun are high. <laughs> <laughs> and a pun based on his name, very, very high. Um, so what do you, what lineup will you expect Fulham to go with on Saturday? Very similar to the one that we saw against Wolfsburg. Um, let's presume everyone's fit. What would you go for? I mean, presuming everyone's fit is probably a, a step too far, I think. But you'd you'd go probably the back four we went with against Wolfsburg, the magic three in the middle, and probably I'd probably go with what we know for the first one. I'd suggest that we might go a Luco Cabano Aite as the front three. I don't know if they'll chuck Cameron at the deep end, especially as he clearly hasn't had too much of a preseason. But you know, it'd be interesting. I don't think Kenny's going to be fit. So I would suggest that we will play Piazon in the 10. Um, and that's what I'd like to see rather than Norwood. I think that if we can get you know ahead or if we're not, you know, there's no control in the match, you can bring Oli Norwood on at that point and really start to, to hold things together from there. But um, I'd like to see Piazon in the 10. We we had at the time, in, in mine and Guy's great, uh, great Lucas Piazon debate, we discussed <laughs> the fact that we didn't, he was the only other natural 10 in the squad really aside from, aside from Kearney. So... I'd like to see that, and then and then from there, I think unless you're going to take a risk and start camera straight away, it is probably going to be more of the same. Speak, looking back to um, similar times last year, uh, Slav did have a tendency to throw them in the in at the deep end. Remember Johansson's terrible debut um, game, which obviously he turned it around massively last season. Um, Chris Martin started straight away after he signed on loan. As He'd well. had a full preseason though. With yeah. Derby. Yeah, true, true. But um, I, I don't think it's uh, totally against Slavica's, um personality just to th- 
just to throw them in, see how they go. Because I think the best practice is match practice at the end of the day, especially if um, if it's a full-blown championship match. Plus, you do remember when we went down to 10 men against Norwich, how well we played actually without Chris Martin up top. Arguably, we were almost better when he went off last season. So you wonder if that false nine, which worked on so many occasions last season. Everyone's been desperate for us to sign a striker, but some of our best performances, including Newcastle away, were played without a main man up top. So as much as I hope we do see Camera a lot this season, I still don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that Camera will still dip in and out of the side depending on what style of play Slavisa chooses to go for. Slav is clearly the kind of man where if he doesn't like someone, he's just not going to play him. Like yeah. He's not going to be courteous to Tony Khan and Klein in any way. If he doesn't like the player, he's not going to play him. It's going to be yeah. as simple as that. Uh, we will be outside the game on oh, yeah. Saturday, the Fulhamish boys. Um, we're just going to go out, give some flyers out, try and get some new people listening to the podcast. But if you're already an existing listener to the podcast, which you must be if you're hearing this right now, um, come say hello. Jack and I are going to be there. Farrell's not going to be there. Shh. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll scare everyone away yeah. <laughs> just me and you yeah. uh, Guy, come say hello to Guy as well we'll all be down there Ben's going to be down there as well so uh, come say hello you'll uh, notice us because we'll be in Fulhamish t-shirts and have Fulhamish flyers yes, yes. Fulhamish t-shirts that Farrell got for a bargain price of £4 don't sell our merchandise <laughs> <That is. laughs> head, to, head to whateverlimited.com they sorted us out they're very good Excellent. So yeah, come they and should say get, they should now uh, reduce that to free. Now you've just given them a shout out. Yeah, a um, sponsorship for the pod. I'll enter negotiations swiftly. Good, good. Right. So all that is left to do is open the post bag quickly. Uh, Secretary Jack, what have we got coming in? Uh, are we brimming this week, or are we just kind of average? Yeah, there's genuinely quite a lot of questions, which okay, is good. There we go. Um, there's a lot. Let me just get down to the bottom. Um, okay. of these. Get your get your elbow get elbow deep in those letters. Yeah. Okay. The the Fulham FC gent sent us this before I even put out the call for questions. So so shouts out to that. Uh, he said, "So Fulhamish pod chaps, <laughs> we are among the bookies' favourites for promotion. Is that a help or a hindrance? We'll listen later for a response." We kind of had this last week, didn't we? Uh, in a in a slightly different worded way. Um, I don't think it's a hindrance at all. I think, yes, there's a bit of expectation on the side. And as I remember iterating last week, I'd be worried what the effect would be on the players if things didn't get off to a great start and whether that pressure would begin to toll. But no, I think it's just a compliment for how well we did last season. And I think we will thrive off the pressure more likely than we'll sink from it so I'm quite enjoying the fact that we're going to be favourites this season and if we live up to the billing then it'll be great you know the la- the two sides that went up last season were probably the favourites for promotion they thrived off the pressure of being up at the top we don't have the unknown quantity now of coming down a league and that's the only thing with the likes of Middlesbrough Sunderland and Hull you have no idea what those three are going to offer but I think we all know that ourselves Sheffield Wednesday uh, Barra Villa yeah mm. Villa, I think Villa will be up there this season but I've no doubt we're going to be in the top in the top half and potentially challenging for playoffs or promotion I just hope that we rise to the occasion really I just hope it doesn't create unnecessarily high expectations because breaking into the top two is extraordinarily difficult mm. I mean it's too two out of you know, it's a league of 24 obviously but you know any one of the top 10 thinks that they could go for automatic promotion so i hope that if you know it's not a case of if we don't get into the top two the bookie said we should have got automatic promotions therefore that's what we should be that should be a minimum which i obviously i don't think is is correct i quite like that actually we seem to be kind of third fourth favorites which mm. kind of gives us that leeway of automatic promotion is really great playoffs is kind of minimum so it's not meaning that we have to go top two in all of our expectations the problem is if we start to drift quite far from the playoffs then i think the pressure will come back on what? guy graham soon always used to say that you don't look at the league table until christmas and especially in the championship especially in the championship so i i that's what i'm going to kind of say i do I, I would say about teams like villa and derby i haven't actually been impressed by villa's transfer window they brought in glenn whelan and terry and and they've got good strikers, but that old team, I don't think is going to... I'm going to stick my neck out and say that, that I don't think they'll make it. I don't think Sunderland are going to be a threat. I don't think Hull are going to be a threat. And 
I don't think Derby would be a threat either because I, I don't they think they've got the squad. They've got a good manager, but I don't think they've got the squad. Mm. I think so, that yeah, it's important to remember that uh, <laughs> Villa have a, had an exceptionally good midfield before this yeah. transfer window yeah. and they haven't lost any of those players. They still have the likes of Hurahan. I knew King, that was coming. King, <laughs> King Connor um, and, and, and Henri Lansbury, who's obviously, you know, a, a good player in this division. Yeah. And they still, and, you know, Glenn, adding Glenn Williams to that is, is a little bit of experience and legs that um you know that they can they can just do with as a side palette. I don't think Whelan will start for them, but he's a good person to have around the squad. He's got, you know, tons of Premier League experience. He played most of last season for Stoke. I was actually a little bit surprised they let him go. Yeah, he was uh, such a solid player. I he's mean, a he, yeah. he's not you know, he's not a world beater. He's never gonna set the world alight, but he does make things tick along at a nice pace and I don't think that's a bad signing at all. The kind of player I'd been very happy to have around the Fulham camp this season. Around the edges. That's yeah. fine, just enough. So there's a quite a lot of questions in that kind of vein. One of them is, in having to wait until the end of the transfer window to complete key transfers, will that mean we struggle again for a top two place? This is from Russell Walker. Farrell, we'll start with you. Um, no, because I would say that this it's such a long season, a lot can happen. Unless, unless two teams absolutely run away with it, then it's definitely a possibility even, even up until Christmas and, and whatnot. Because, I mean, you know, looking at our form um after christmas that was like top two kind of form so and it was only because brighton and newcastle did start to run away with it up up to a point but you know i still think it's a possibility even if we have a bad september it's important to remember that basically last year we signed piazon and martin who were really two of our attacking options and you know could we sign cabano late we signed, you know, uh, Martin and, and Piazza on the last day of the transfer window. It was all very sort of, oh God, we've signed some players. And we started really well. And uh, that was one thing. And it didn't change the fact that we started well. Uh, and then we didn't go into September with more players and suddenly become rubbish. Like, it, it just, you know, that's how it began. And we signed, you know, not the majority, but a good amount of players before the before the season has started this year. And I think that's something to be, you know, marveled at it in, in in some cases yes we all wanted it to happen earlier so that Slav could bed them in at pre-season but we haven't left our business that late if, if I'm perfectly honest with you I, I don't know what you think guy in terms of getting getting going it is about fitness and I feel like at Fulham they take take that very seriously we, we've got that cryotherapy chamber and maybe that was what gave us the edge in August last season we did tail off in September as we know but we we looked very fit from the go from the get-go and the, the way we play where we have to get possession back immediately requires a lot of running, and we've got that in our team. And so I've got no worries about the players we've got being unfit, and therefore I don't see any reason why we can't re have a really good start to the season. Also, this isn't that much of a new team. Kamara signed today, and yes, you could say Callas only signed last week, but he's not a new addition. He's literally just had his pre-season somewhere else, as has Lucas Piazon. They're just two players from last season coming back in. They... There's no settling in period for them. They could get, you know, Callas could be signed, could have been signed this Friday and I'd have been fully comfortable with him then starting on Saturday alongside Tim Ream. That's that's not a worry. Yes, Kamara might take a little bit of time to, to settle in. But you remember last season, we made so many signings in, in the last couple of days of the transfer window, as you mentioned. Plus, we had about five, six new players. The complete yeah. bedrock of our team was brand new. K-Mac, Johansson, um, there was Scott Malone and I'm... Struggling to think of others because there was just yeah, yeah. just because there was so many brand new I players. Mean, it's a shorter list the the actual players that had appearances for Fulham before that. You know, you only I had Fredericks. I think we genuinely had six or seven debutants in that yeah. first game against Newcastle, if I'm not mistaken. Fre Frederick Smith, um, Kearney. Were, Kearney were the only players that kind of that had actually played. And you and you or look did Parker, at did Parker start maybe? Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah, yeah. Or so, did you look at start though? against Newcastle. No, I don't I think he came on. I really Yeah, am. but you look at like that lineup that you just said that you'd like to play against Norwich on Saturday, apart from maybe a Norwood who might be an enforced change in the middle of the park and the fact that you didn't think that Camera was likely to start, that's a full team that was here last season. Precisely. And so uh, it's not also a... had a full pre-season with Slavita. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it is one of those. The only the only one I'm slightly slightly wary of is I'm still not convinced that Sessignon's a left back. I would I'd I'd say he played better at left back on Saturday. He looks bigger. He does. He looks he considerably bigger. He's done some weights. No, but he's he's taller, he looks stronger, he didn't get bullied off the ball as much. It, it, <laughs> you know, it was um 
Yeah. Well, it was didn't get bullied at school last week. Start <laughs> on left back against Wolves. That was one of the, the worst calls Slav made all season. Yeah, but, you know, such is, such he, is the rotation. He, he, played, he played better at left back on Saturday than he did at left wing when, um, when he moved when, up. Yeah, when yeah. Odoi came on. Um, I don't. I don't think he's got. I don't think Sessegnon's got the ability at the moment to beat a man consistently. That's what I would say. So there's a couple more questions. We've got genuinely is the uh, the post bag quite full. Um, Lawrence Peterman, who do you want or think will take penalties this season? I was thinking K Mac might be the man. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Yeah, I just think K Mac would bang it down the middle every time. I think it would get it would get old quite quick. Um, Anyone want to hazard a guess that you'd have taken penalties? I still think Tom Can Tom Carney Tom, Tom Carney is the man for penalties. To be honest, I still think he should have the best ability. He just got very predict. He just gets very predictable. We'll do the Felix Magat and uh, whoever's birthday it's coming up. They get to take the penalty. Perhaps <laughs> God. give all penalties to Thomas Callas. <laughs> Thomas Callas will be finding the top bid as long every as Tim time. Ream goes nowhere near. Yeah, no who. Some who won the very difficult prize of taking the worst penalty last season, which is a tall order. Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I'm not I've sure. I've got this I agree theory about, about left-footed penalty takers. Yeah, I just don't. don't like I just yeah, don't, don't trust them, them at all. <laughs> <laughs> don't trust left-footed penalty takers. No, 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 it's too easy to not. read. Yeah, what, too easy to read. Yeah, yeah, good, uh, good, good stuff. <laughs> there was uh, at the um, uh, one of the League Cup games. There was someone sat, uh, sitting behind me, and they they shouted out that. The reason why we weren't playing so well at the time is we had too many left-footed players in the team, which I thought was just bizarre. On the subject of ludicrous shouts, I did tweet about this at the weekend, but someone literally behind me were like they were they were readying, um, I think someone to come on in at centre midfield, and they shouted. Well, he can't be any worse than Johansson. And I, <laughs> you I'm must have been fuming. Was like, it your man Matt O'Reilly? It was Matt O'Reilly. Yeah, it was. It was Matt O'Reilly, and he. Um... What? Who shouted that out? No, no, no. no. <laughs> it was probably Matt O'Reilly's dad. <laughs> no, but yeah, it was. It was Matt O'Reilly coming on. I reckon he he's good. This lad. <laughs> I love Matt O'Reilly. I was well happy to see O'Reilly come on. It was just, but I could not believe that this person had said this. I was like, surely not. Like, hey, does people believe that? Do you want to hear the, mo the most ridiculous one I've heard of the past few years was actually um, the Wickham away game at the League Cup whenever it was two or three years ago. And uh, we scored an offside, well, it was an offside goal, it was disallowed. And some of our, well, this family of people all shouted out that, how could that be offside? I saw it go in the goal. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It's probably a book of ridiculous chance at football matches, you know. That yeah. is a, a good one. There's... Stuck, stuck on your windowsill, but in the uh, downstairs toilet, yeah, probably. Yeah, which Jacob Jackson um, says, which fixtures are you most looking forward to this season? Can be home or away? One uh, each, I please. Presume, I assume this is more in a... Personal sense. Personal sense. Yeah. What game are you excited to go to rather than I'm excited for... Reading away. <laughs> oh. Yeah, or <laughs> Villa at home because it's a big team or something. Oh, I think it's just what day out you'd like most. Okay. Sammy? Sorry. Oh Christ! Start with me on the spot. Do you know what I'm excited? I'm really excited for Ipswich away uh, for two reasons: new ground, for three reasons actually. It sounds like a great away day where you've got station pub away end. Yep. Definitely. Plus, all the Fulhamish boys are going as well, so hey. I'm excited for a big day out. And it's August Bank Holiday weekend, so we're all going to wear our t-shirts. Not. No. <laughs> Farrell. Um. Oh, I don't know. I'd, I'd be inclined to say Ipswich as well because of those reasons, apart from seeing all the Fulhamish boys uh, outside the pod. Um, I think perhaps that although we lost Newcastle away, we are thinking about doing the Sunderland or the Middlesbrough away, but staying in Newcastle instead, which gives us that opportunity. Do you like going to Newcastle, Guy? Uh, Burton away for me. I'm, I missed the midweek last year, so I'm happy. It's a, uh, yeah, it, it would be new ground. Seems like a really small, nice little ground. Jack J. Collins, is it the Leeds trip that yeah. you just booked today? I did book Leeds today and I haven't been to... I have been to Ellen Road, but not for a game. So uh, I'm really excited. Are you to, staying overnight? Yeah, I am staying overnight oh, in Leeds, yeah. So the Collins boys will be taking the trip to Leeds United, which I'm is also, exciting. I don't know if this is wrong, but I'm also very excited to lose my Griffin Park virginity this season. 
I mean, which is no a horrible one, phrase. Yeah, that is a horrible phrase. <laughs> is that going on top of your CV or something? Yeah, but just, I've I, never been before, and I'm very excited to go this season. I know you'll probably say it's nothing to get excited about. It really isn't. It really is. It doesn't I mean, even. It's, it's just annoying because now the uh, the their big claim to fame that they had a pub on each corner doesn't even exist anymore because one of them's closed. Oh yeah. So you know, it, you know, it's interesting. It'll be. It'll be. I'm sure that Griffin Park away will be a, a fun day. Pay. It is. Per. It is fun. I mean, it's it's in London. It's close by. It's near a train station. There's pubs to go to and we have way too many Brentford fans in our football team Farrell QPR away (laughs) on a Friday night now that's going to be absolutely horrendous really horrible madness I just really not looking forward to be wandering around White City in the middle of the night to be honest so but I'm sure it'll be fine well the match is at 7.45 so don't do that yeah, well, we'll see where we'll see where we end up (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) well um, one more in the post bag is it Jack Um, there is we have an email actually give me two seconds and I will find it Right, so we've got a question from Gregor Mitchell who emailed the, the pod. So thanks for the email. It says, a recent fan of the podcast, discovered it this preseason, keep up the good work. We will do. Thank you, Gregor. That's I love recent fans of the pod. Yeah, I'm, they make me very happy. <laughs> My question is, comes off the back of Callas being rumoured to sign another loan spell at the club. Okay, this is before Callas signed, clearly. Do you think Fulham's obsession with loaning players that are arguably proven within our system, such as Callas and Piazon, instead of buying them, could potentially hinder the team long-term? For example, in January, for instance, if the team needed to loan in foreign talent, for example, but are unable to due to the limits of loanees. An interesting point. What is the limit on loanees? Five. So five, 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 five in a match day squad. Five in a squad. Sure, yeah. But eight overall. You can have eight in the... I don't, I don't know if it's eight overall. I just thought it was five and in And how squads. many from Chelsea? Is there a limit <laughs> on that? We're screwed if we play Chelsea. That is true. <laughs> Yeah, Magnus Norman will have to play up front. Yeah, he will. Do. <laughs> Good stuff. I <laughs> at the end of the day, Huddersfield must have been pretty close to the five in the match day squad all through last season. So, yeah, yeah I guess if there is a particular area of the of the team that needs addressing, we have a big injury crisis at left back. Then, yeah, our options are a little bit limited by having so many loans. But at the moment, we only have is it four. Real first team loans: Norwood, Piazon, Callas. That's it. Yeah. So we only have okay, three. So you don't have. You can have as many loan players as you want in the squad, but only five in the match day squad. Okay. Yeah, that so makes sense. It would be a problem if we suddenly had to start playing all of our loanees due to injuries to other players. Yeah. So if we had a left back crisis and Kearney got injured, and I don't know who else we got on loan, Norwood. And Steph Joe got injured at the same time. You do one worry with loans, I guess, the kind of long-term building of a squad, don't you? That Callas and Piazon, you have no control whether they're going to be with Fulham in the future. And it's not really building a squad if you build a team of loans. But I think you see how successful it was for Huddersfield last year. I think that the best teams that get out of the championship, and indeed in the lower leagues as well than that, all use the loan system to their advantage advantage. and I think anyone that thinks that you can completely build a squad by buying players that you need is a little bit naive and we're seeing a little bit at Wolves they're really trying to Uncle George sorting you out did you see uh, Cavallero's goal for Wolves against Leicester at the weekend if you haven't check it out it's an unbelievable strike Unbelievable! They are, they certainly are going to destroy some teams this season. But whether it works consistently or not is, I suppose, the big question for Wolves. But it's one of those that they will, they will have their days where they're absolutely unplayable. I'm quite glad we're not playing them in the opening dozen matches. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think, think so. they could come out the blocks far, and I think if we had them first game of the season, I would be uh, worried. slightly worried. Well, that's pretty much it from the post bag. There are loads of questions. There's lots about camera, but I hope that we've addressed them kind of earlier on in the pod. Um, and there's a lot about you know finishing top two, top six. I think hopefully we've addressed that kind of thing across the across the thing, and 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 then we'll we'll go from there. Any more questions you think we've missed out? Hit us up. We'll be back next week. Yep. In the meantime, please keep following us uh, on all the social medias: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. At Fulhamish Pod is where you can find us on all of those. Also, if you'd like to get your Fulham news, your Fulhamish news in email format. We are starting an email newsletter. Mm-hmm. I know, I feel like we're back in 1999. Big development. Uh, we've made it on Microsoft Paint. Rest in peace, <laughs> by the way. That was a very sad development last week. Oh, no, it's come. It's back. It's back. Oh, well, they said they're keeping it? Yeah, they're keeping it. Oh, great news for everyone. That'll be on the newsletter. That will be on the newsletter. It'll be only in Microsoft Paint. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then two weeks' time, we'll have the Fulham Telegram. 
Exactly, yeah. And then after that, we'll have the carrier pigeon come to you and deliver the podcast. It's great news that long-term friend of the pod, David David Preston, is is giving us a a big old hand. He's going to be the man in charge of the newsletter. He is indeed. So if you like your news with a South African twist, then (laughs) this is the newsletter for you. David's going to the game with me on uh, Saturday. He's also helping us out with the flyering, so I'm very excited. Please come and say hello, by the way. You will see us just sort of wandering around outside Craven Cottage in, in, in numerous little groups, handing out flyers and trying to basically improve the listenership of the old podcast so do come and say hello if you want to subscribe to that newsletter uh, the place to do it is just at fullermish.co.uk it's on every page on the side of the page you can't miss it it's literally just a form type in your email address we're not going to spam you i'm not going to sell it to ppi unless i get a really good offer yeah so if they you know if they really really up the ante for us you know uh, at the end of the day i've got rent to pay so if it does mean selling your details for a million pounds i'm going to consider doing it but other than that (laughs) i won't sell them so don't worry uh secretary jack what is the name of today's podcast, please? In respect for our new signing, the name of this podcast is Lights, Camera, Action. Oh, Very I thought good. it was going to be Guy. The signing. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. No, sorry, Guy. No, sorry. The Guy's Gites, got a new camera guy. camera action. Guy's camera action. <laughs> oh, the second name's Barlow. You could do a take that pun. Oh, yeah. Indeed. Well, I'm sure there'll be more. <laughs> thank you for listening to today's podcast of Farrell Monk. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. To Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. To Guy Barley, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. There may be a podcast coming out on Thursday, TBC. Ooh. So we'll either see you on Thursday or Monday. So see you later. Toodles. Toodles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Be you to it. <laughs>